Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Romania, Israel, the United Kingdom, Brazil, and a see you in hell that's the celebration of a dead fascist from Nazi Germany. Starting out in the United States, Hate Watch, an organization that pays very close attention to white supremacist and other sort of fascist adjacent organizations, definitely give them a look. Hate Watch has investigated and found that a white supremacist organization is trying to find a new sort of headquarters just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. This organization is called the Arstaru Folk Assembly, a white supremacist sort of quasi-neo-pagan organization. They claim to be neo-pagans, but, you know, they're really just a white supremacist group that is an excuse to have a, in their words, all-white group. They bought a bunch of land in Tennessee, like I said, just outside of Nashville, and their plan is to create a white supremacist organizational network really close to state power and that state's biggest city. Their intention is to build a temple, you know, what they use as a temple for their worship, and also a school for young people. White supremacist organizations have tried to do similar things in the United States, you know, making their own little compound, getting land sort of in a rural area. This is unfortunately nothing new. However, this one might be a little bit different just because of the very different political climate that we're in, where it's a lot easier for people to be out white supremacists. Moving on to some of the electoral news in the United States, this one is about Donald Trump. Donald Trump's trial date has been set. It's going to be in mid-August. Now, this is his trial for the mishandling of the secret documents that he was found to have at his home in Mar-a-Lago, Florida. This speedy trial is exactly what Trump and his lawyers do not want. They are going to be trying to delay this trial date as much as they possibly can. However, if the trial does come to pass before the actual election and before Donald Trump can earnestly contest the Republican nomination process starting in this fall and then into the winter and spring of next year of 2024, that could massively transform the entire United States electoral system. Like, I have absolutely no idea what would happen if Donald Trump faced trial in August. Now, it's likely that some delays will happen. However, even if it's delayed for a couple months, that still puts us in the middle of the primary season, Donald Trump facing trial. Who knows what's going to happen then? Additionally, and on this note about Donald Trump's trial, Donald Trump has admitted on television that he is responsible for the handling of the documents that were mishandled in Florida. Specifically, and inadvertently, in an interview on Fox News, Donald Trump admits to some of these key contentions in the upcoming trial, specifically that he lied and directed his office to lie about complying with a subpoena that the federal government have given him in order to hand over these secret documents. He says that, like, he knew that they were lying about this, that they had been ordered to hand over these documents and just didn't. His excuse is that the boxes that contained the secret documents that he was supposed to return were mixed in with boxes that held different things, and also that these secret document boxes also held, quote, personal belongings. And this is, again, a quote from Donald Trump. The things that were in these boxes were, quote, golf shirts, clothing, pants, shoes, you know, a lot of stuff. That's what, that's what former President Donald Trump 
said. That was why he didn't want to return these extremely secretive, sensitive documents, you know, which include like potential battle plans for how the United States might invade Iran or something like that, right? Like he didn't want to, he didn't want to return these boxes because they included his favorite golfing cleats, right? It's, 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 it's a nightmare. It's ridiculous. Finally, in U.S. electoral news, I'm talking about a person that I actually don't think I've mentioned before on this podcast. This is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Now, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the son of Bobby Kennedy, the brother of John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy is a former president of the United States, famously assassinated, bringing about the presidency of Lyndon Johnson. RFK, JFK's brother, ran for the Democratic nomination for the presidency in the late 1960s, but was assassinated before he could ever clinch the nomination, which he probably would have gotten if he had made it. RFK Jr.'s son is a member of this Kennedy family, the biggest, probably, political family in the United States in the 20th century. Now, RFK Jr. is, you know, he's a charismatic guy, he's a member of the Kennedy family, but specifically he uses his charisma to promote fringe science claims, uh, and specifically anti-vax claims. You know, he's sort of more of a like health influencer type than he is an actual politician. However, he is riding the wave of anti-vax propaganda in order to run for political office in 2024. That is his goal. But he is not running as a Republican, despite the fact that his politics are essentially conservative and even quasi-fascistic. Instead, he is running on the extreme right wing of the Democratic Party. Ironically, reviving that sort of pre-JFK Democratic right wing that was hyper-conservative and extremely Southern. Of course, it's extremely unlikely that he would be able to defeat sitting President Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination or even any other Democrat who could possibly run to get that nomination if Joe Biden were for some reason unable to contest it. But still, the fact that he is running to the extreme right as a Democrat is indicative of the right-wing impulse in United States politics today. Moving on to Romania, Andrew Tate, his brother, and his accomplices are now also going to face trial in Romania. Previously, they'd only been arrested and held prior to facing trial. Specifically, Romanian authorities allege that Tate, his brother, and his associates created a criminal organization in 2021 to traffic women in Romania, the United States, and the United Kingdom. They also allege that Tate and his associates forced these women into debt and that this debt was to be repaid to Tate and his associates with sexual acts and also with making pornography on their estates. Moving on to Israel, just a note that Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, continues to face turmoil in the Knesset, in the Israeli legislature, regarding his attempts to reform Israeli judicial law. This means that his coalition, which is a really tenuous one between the extreme right wing of the Israeli political sphere and his sort of more mainstream right wing political party, this means that this coalition is really falling apart at the seams. And it's really unclear exactly what will happen after it falls apart. And it's really more of a when than an if. In the United Kingdom, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson is also facing a lot of scrutiny and problems. In this case, it's for his handling of a COVID-19 related scandal from when he was the prime minister. In the United Kingdom, this scandal is pretty hilariously called Partygate. You know, other countries do the gate 
thing too, I guess, outside of the United States. Specifically, this is Boris Johnson's office's handling of COVID-19 restrictions. They just held parties and held big events and like celebrations and, you know, open champagne bottles and stuff at a time when the United Kingdom's government was telling people not to attend the funerals of their loved ones who died of COVID in an attempt to prevent the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic disease. Now, this was one of the big reasons that Boris Johnson lost his position as the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, and he's facing increased scrutiny that could actually result in some legal action against him. There's also potential legal action against him for his handling of his post-prime ministership roles. Specifically, he accepted some roles in media, which might violate some United Kingdom media and political separation laws, you know, laws to prevent former political workers from just like turning around and working for the media and like giving away secrets and stuff like that. Finally, moving on to Brazil. Today, when this is released on June the 22nd, on Thursday, Jair Bolsonaro will be on trial for the abuse of authority when he was the president of Brazil. Specifically, the Brazilian state alleges that Jair Bolsonaro falsely raised claims that Brazil's electoral system was faulty ahead of his electoral fight against Lula da Silva, the current president of Brazil. Now, in Brazil, making these kinds of claims is just like straight up illegal. And there is a court in Brazil that deals specifically with this. The Superior Electoral Tribunal deals with claims and contestations of the authority of elections. Brazil has this court because of its history of legal battles and coups and other corrupt dealings that relate to actual electoral practice. Now, Bolsonaro raised these claims in an attempt to prevent his opponent's victory from being recognized. Bolsonaro has still yet to formally recognize his opponent's success, despite the fact that, like, you know, Lula has been the president of Brazil for over six months at this point. Now, this trial has some serious possible outcomes for Brazil and also for Bolsonaro specifically. It could render Jair Bolsonaro ineligible for running for any political office in Brazil for several years until 2030, it could be, that he is ineligible to run for office. That means that he could not contest the next Brazilian presidential election. He couldn't even run for Congress again, trying to get back his Brazilian congressional seat back in Rio de Janeiro, which might be a little bit of an easier bet than running for president. He was always extremely popular in his home district, as he is popular in many parts of Brazil. So kicking him out of the electoral process would be an extremely big explosion in Brazilian political life because he's an extremely popular guy, and he was essentially the shoe-in to be the conservative candidate running against Lula in the next Brazilian presidential election. However, this is also a serious personal problem for Bolsonaro, because without being able to return to federal office, he is liable for a bunch of prosecutions. He is already facing a bunch of unrelated to these electoral problems, he's facing a bunch of unrelated criminal charges, some of which could actually result in jail time. Previously, Bolsonaro had relied on the immunity that he got as a federal elected official to protect him from this kind of prosecution. But now that he's exposed to that, it's really, you know, anybody's guess about what's going to put him in jail first. Finally, going to close out this week, like I do every week, with See You in Hell 
a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week I'm talking about Richard Bayer, one of the commandants of Auschwitz I, which was the main Auschwitz camp. Bayer was born in Bavaria in 1911 to a Protestant family, somewhat unusual for Bavaria. He studied to be a pastry chef as a youth and also traveled around Germany as a pastry chef. That's what he did before he became a Nazi. He joined the Nazi party in 1930 and then the SS in 1932. So a sort of like early bandwagoner, right? Really when the Nazis were starting to get momentum at this point, that's when he joined. His SS group in the 1930s was tasked with providing security at Nazi rallies at a very key point in the Nazi's electoral process. You know, this was when they were fighting very steadily against communists and against socialists and against other people who were trying to prevent them from taking power in Germany, primarily communists and socialists. Then after the Nazis took power, his SS group became essentially extra police forces in the areas where they were stationed. However, Bayer was quickly assigned to the political and medical prisoner slash extermination camp network, which was where he would spend the majority of the rest of his political career. From then on, he was a concentration camp man, working his way up from being a guard to leading groups of guards at concentration camps. However, remember that in the late 30s and even into the very early 40s, concentration camps were not specifically ethnically oriented in Germany. A lot of them were more about political prisoners, they were about homosexuality, and they were about people who the Nazis deemed to be medically unfit for existence. We're talking about people who had mental or physical differences that the Nazis didn't just disrespect, they believed that they shouldn't exist in the world. Bayer had a brief stint on the Eastern Front that is fighting the Soviet Union in 1940, along with a bunch of other SS officers. A year later, he was transferred back to running camps due to sustaining an injury. By 1942, he was commanding his own camp, where he was part of the main experiments with like actual mechanized extermination of political prisoners as opposed to mass hangings and mass shootings. He finally landed at the top of the Nazi extermination camp ladder in 1944 as the third and final commandant of Auschwitz. Specifically, he was commanding the death by labor part of the camp, not the extermination camp part known as Birkenau. Bayer escaped trial and prosecution after the war by escaping. He ran away, he went back to Bavaria, and then he went to the other side of Germany in the far north in Hamburg, where he worked as a forestry worker, you know, like a lumberjack, under the alias Karl Egon Neumann. He lived as Neumann for several decades, until 1960 when the West German authorities started to really crack down and try to find a bunch of the people who had escaped you know, who should have been put on trial for running concentration camps, right? A co-worker that is a fellow forestry worker identified him after a warrant was issued for his arrest. He was confronted by the police and denied everything, but his wife gave it away by referring to herself as Frau Bär, as, you know, saying that that was in fact her last name, that she, she made a slip and that was the ballgame. Eventually, Bayer was going to face trial, but sadly died of a heart attack before he could actually see any justice. So, Bayer died of a heart attack on June 17th, 1963. Richard Bayer, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. 
Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H-I-S-T of the right, and fascism 15. Thanks very much, and I will talk to you next week.